0: 7.44. So we are celebrating Tusok, a time of unity, at least for many families. But we take this opportunity to turn our attention to an ongoing tragedy in the U.S., where children of undocumented immigrant families separated at the U.S. border remain torn from their families. Some 34 children were reported to have been released over the past few weeks, but reunions are moving at a slow pace and it remains unclear what will happen to hundreds of others, with some parents having been deported to their own countries. Let's uh, connect now with Efren Olivares, racial and economic justice director from the Texas Civil Rights Project. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hello, good morning.
0: Thank you for having me. Now, we touched on this issue several weeks back, and at that time, there was some confusion about the story. Some reports were suggesting that they were trying to find the parents of these children and were unable to do so. In some places, the implication was that, you know, the parents had not necessarily wanted to be found, and it felt like some of that reporting was politically motivated. What's the latest surrounding these separated families?
1: Well, for the parents who have been deported, it's been extremely challenging to find them, but those of them that we have been able to find, they are desperate to have their children back, and the vast majority of them were misled or deceived when they signed papers and were deported without their children. Um, on Friday, we had two of our clients who finally received their children back—one uh, in Guatemala and one in Honduras. But we still have at least a dozen who are still waiting for their children, and they have been deported to Honduras and Guatemala.
0: What makes it challenging, particularly to to find these parents? I mean, because you would think if you're separated from your child, you would either be holding some vigil somewhere or doing everything in your power to be found.
1: Yes, it's extremely challenging, especially in Guatemala, because many of these parents are from very rural, poor, and in- indigenous communities in the mountains. Many of them don't have access to the Internet and other resources, even electricity in some cases. And all we have is a name and a date of birth. And the U.S. government is doing next, next to nothing to look for them. So it falls on nonprofit organizations such as ours to try to find them. And it's extremely challenging. We've had to hire private investigators. We're working with other organizations on the ground who, who look for people. But it's very, very difficult. It's not like in developed countries where, you know, people might have a presence online. You can look them up on Facebook or uh, other similar spaces. Here, it's very, very challenging.
0: But, of course, love for one's children is certainly not a privilege of the, uh, the rich and the connected. So I, I, I wonder what the reaction's like from these people parents when when they are found
1: it's extremely heartbreaking you know they're crying they're hugging their children and in many cases they are even the parents are even asking the children for forgiveness after the separation was somehow the parents fault it's heartbreaking and they you know they haven't seen each other in many weeks in some cases over three months and uh, it's it's heartbreaking Uh, we saw like i said two in the last few days Um, And one of them, the mother, had been waiting for her her son on a previous flight that he was supposed to be on. She went to the airport, was waiting for him, and he just wasn't on the plane. She was extremely distraught and disappointed. Thankfully, on Friday, she was able to be, be reunited with her son.
0: Can you tell us more about the new rules proposed by the White House that seek to hold parents and children together in detention until their cases have been heard?
1: Yes, this is a new proposal because under the current law and a court settlement that dates back to 1997, children who are detained with their parents or otherwise are supposed to be detained in the least restrictive setting possible, and in most cases no longer than 20 days. The White House has now submitted proposed changes to this settlement agreement and to the regulations to allow for the indefinite detention of children and families for the duration of their their immigration cases. And, you know, given how backlogged the immigration courts are in the U.S., asylum cases sometimes take over a year to be decided. So that would mean that children would be detained for many months, in some cases over a year. And let's be clear, these are asylum seekers, refugees who have committed no crime. They just came to the U.S. to seek asylum and protection, and they're being incarcerated, jailed in some cases in, in cages, quite literally, for over a year, and the White House now wants to do that indefinitely. It's extreme, It's unconscionable, and uh, there's a good chance that the court overseeing that settlement agreement will not allow those regulations to go in effect.
0: But the Trump administration did sign an executive order in June stopping further family separation, in theory. Can you elaborate on your concerns despite that order being signed?
1: Sure. So firstly, that order, executive order, has only applied to parental relationships. Other family relationships, siblings, cousins, nephews, nieces, grandchildren, those are still being separated. We're going to court every morning here in South Texas, and we see uh, siblings. If you have an over-18 brother traveling with an underage sister, they're still being separated. And there's no reassurance as to when they might be reunited uh, in addition, parents who have prior deportations, if they come back again, and this is the third, fourth time that they cross the border, they can be charged with a felony, not just a misdemeanor, and those are also, again, being separated. And, you know, they, the parents are sentenced to a month sometimes in jail for having crossed multiple times. They're separated from their child, and then it's, again, very, very challenging to reunite them after they complete the sentence.
0: Yeah, it's a very, very heartbreaking situation, as you've already spelled out. Efren Olivares, Racial and Economic Justice Director of the Texas Civil Rights Project. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Um, we continue the discussion though, on the psychological impact of separation. and. This is perhaps where we can also just reflect on general separation, including on this peninsula. Professor David Keating specializes in psychology, psychiatry and paediatrics at the University of Michigan. is the author of Born Anxious, published recently in Korean. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So it's been reported that some of the children remaining in custody of the U.S. government may never be reunited. I, I, and we're yeah. starting to get that idea from our previous guests as well. How challenging it is to bring people back together, especially where the government's not necessarily doing its part, but is rather relying on these civil activist groups. So you you've compared this to torture, haven't you? Can you elaborate somewhat?
2: Yes, I have. Yeah. Well, because the um, you know if you look at the definition of torture as it's in the you know sort of the UN conventions on that. It's essentially the deliberate intention to inflict harm, including physical harm, on others in order to achieve some kind of a goal, like a policy goal. And in this case, it was very clear that the, that the policy that was put in place, which was to separate um, parents from children at the border, including asylum-seeking uh, parents uh, from their children, was a policy... A specifically announced policy by uh, <clears throat> uh... by uh... attorney general sessions and so there was a specific policy goal that so there's a policy goal and the harm that happens to individuals we know that there's lifelong psychological harm but there's also physical and biological harm that happens to individuals uh... because through these sorts of very uh... high stress or high trauma situations in childhood so in that sense uh... it is uh... uh... it, it is torture in the technical sense that it is intending to cause physical harm for the purpose of achieving some policy goal. It's also in direct contravention to the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, where state actors are required to uh, do all in their efforts to maintain the health and, and development of children who are their responsibility.
0: Right. I mean, as far as uh, the parents are concerned, I'm also interested in their psychological impact. The that, that, the previous guest was telling us that when they are reunited with their children, often they're saying sorry to their children. They're, they're expressing some feeling of guilt for a situation that they've found themselves in. And, and it's also difficult to comprehend how they can go back to rural villages and, and even just carry on knowing their children are so far away. On the other hand, they might feel completely helpless. What, what's your view of that situation from a, from a mental illness perspective?
2: highly traumatic for the parents, and although their biological systems may not be quite as vulnerable as young children, they're still quite vulnerable. So the, the, the notion of a trauma of that severity, and I think it's easy to imagine how severe it is, you know, whether or not you're a parent yourself, it's easy to imagine how traumatic that forced involuntary and sudden separation uh, would be. And, and the longer, of course, it goes on, the more one feels that, that, that somehow you have in in some way been responsible for this and, and that it's problematic, uh, you know, for you and for your child to do that. And, and, of course, many of the children that remain separated at this point uh, are often because, I think, as you mentioned, they're very... It may be hard to find the parents. If the parents were, were, sent, were deported while their children remained in the U.S., trying to find those individuals in their home countries is difficult. Many of them, obviously, were seeking asylum. Mm. The reason they were seeking asylum was because of situations in their home country that were where they felt themselves and their families to be at risk. They're not going to be e- easily uh, found, right? They're not like in the phone book; you can call them up. They're trying, in a sense, to be invisible um, in order to uh, in order to avoid the the thing that they were fleeing from in the first instance.
0: Just so many layers to this can be difficult for us in uh, a more comfortable, developed situation to comprehend. But your writing can be broadened out beyond this situation. Um, and, and in fact, if we read the full title of your book, Born Anxious, The Lifelong Impact of Early Life Adversity and How to Break the Cycle, it, it's right. something that could potentially resonate with lots of people here on this peninsula who may still be separated from their loved ones in, in North Korea, for example. Um, what um, were you really trying to offer with this book?
2: um uh, basically what i was hoping to do is to bring uh, some relatively new science to bear on a question on an, a topic that we know already is problematic i mean we don't need to to have enormous Uh, New Science to point out that that involuntary separations or separations that have had to occur for a variety of reasons may be quite problematic. The issue about the early life adversity and early life stress and early life trauma, which are basically just different levels of the same kind of phenomenon, can have a lifelong impact on that individual, uh, particularly on young children and even for children who are still in the womb. And what happens basically biologically is that it changes uh, Um, a variety of things, but one of the things that it changes is how the gene system functions, how genes function, although the DNA, the basic story in the gene remains the same, how much they're doing their job how effectively they're doing their job or the way that they adapt to doing their job can be changed by these experiences and we now know uh, from lots of work uh... uh, that it has uh... can have very a long-term impact on the development of the individual and even on the health and longevity how long individuals live so uh, 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 a dis abled or dysregulated stress system which is one of the big things that can happen with this lead to a lifelong cascade of problems in development and health. Professor Dan Keating
0: we've got to leave it there but um, anyone who's really interested and I'm sure that's many of us can check that book out Born Anxious. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for the invitation.